in 81, I was married to my lovely bride, Shelley Lynette Walker. This coming October on the 17th, we will have been married for 30 years. And yes, it is a miracle. If you were to go back that day and if you were to see me, you would see if you ever saw the most phenomenal movie that ever existed. It's called Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever had a man by the name of Tony Manero, played by John Travolta. And John Travolta wore this beautiful, unbelievable cotton polyester white kind of suit with a big buffet, buffet a haircut, you know? That was me. It was me at my wedding. <laughs> I was excited to just be, you know, <laughs> just disco boy, you know? And we went from there, and uh, we I went to Toronto, Canada on our honeymoon. Unbelievable romantic location. Oh, boy. We went there because we didn't have any money. Come on. Everybody's been done that, okay? And we saw some great movies. And one of the movies we saw at that time was a movie called Escape from New York. It's a movie with Kurt Russell in it. Man, it was won like 50,000 Academy Awards. And uh, it really didn't. It was a terrible movie. And uh, we, after we spent time in Toronto, and we came back home, and if you know me a little bit, you know, I'm like, I'm like any other guy, and a lot of times guys like to, like to just play pranks, you know, we like to do stupid stuff, and uh, so I decided that I was going to try to play a prank on my wife, we came home, we're on, on, on uh, you know, unpacking the gifts that everybody had given us from the wedding, and just stuff that I really didn't like and didn't care about, mixers, you know, spoons, whatever, whatever. And uh, I'm a guy. A lot of this wedding stuff is about girls. We have to change that somehow. But anyway, we're opening these gifts, and I decided I'm going to play this prank on Shelly, and I look at her, and I said, uh, with all the seriousness I could possibly muster with this kind of straight face just like this, you have no idea who I am. <laughs> she goes, what? And I get serious again, and... I said, you really don't have any idea who I am. You don't know my past. <laughs> and she does one of these numbers. Kind of backing away from me. <laughs> now, I'm 21 years old. My wife was 18. When you're a 21-year-old, you think you know everything. You absolutely know nothing. You, did you hear what I just said? You think you know everything. You absolutely know nothing. You think you're also immortal. You can go like 180 mile an hour on a, on a, on a, a motorcycle and not crash into things. Won't hurt you. You just, you know, just be, you're impervious. I mean, and so I just kept up with the joke. Not knowing that it was kind of, she was kind of getting freaked out. She wondered if she had married an axe murderer. And I stand to walk up and I'm continuing the charade and up on the counter there's this little thing of steak knives, these knives. I wasn't intending to go get the knife or anything, you know. But she, apparently, I think she thought I was. And she, her, her version, maybe I did pull the knife. I don't know. <laughs> she runs to the bathroom. Runs, runs, gone, down. Uh, as soon as she walks in, slams the door, turns on the, the, the uh, light and the fan. And I go, oh, my gosh, I've blown it. We're going to get a divorce five days into this, dude, you know? And I, I'm knocking on the door. I go, honey, it's okay, it's okay. And all she's hearing is, I'm going to kill you. You know, she's on the other side just hearing, you know, like that. 
it was, you know, there's certain things, guys. Let me give you a little bit of marriage advice. Um, there's certain things that you will do in your marriage that you will pay for for the rest of your life. And I want you to know that that's one of them. I still pay for that one. I'm going to pay for that one for a long time. We have arrived at a unique place in our time of talking about 1 Corinthians. We've been talking a little bit about the previous times. We've been talking about what Paul has to say about singleness. And now we have arrived in chapter 7 on uh, the topic of marriage. And if you'll turn there with me, topic of marriage, I want, you to, I want you to read this piece of Scripture. We'll read this piece of Scripture together. And if you read um, with me in 1 Corinthians 7, starting there at verse uh, 1, it says, um, uh, it says, now for the matters you, uh, you wrote about, okay? Let me stop right there and just, just give you some context. There were these people, Paul, Paul was away from the Corinth church, the, the Corinthian church at this point, the church at Corinth, and these people had a lot of questions. They were young believers. They had just formed this church, and there was a lot of things that were going on in their lives that they didn't know about, like, uh, you know, what does it mean to be single? What, is it, what, what does it mean to be married? And what is, what is sex inside of marriage? And what, is, what does that all mean? You know, there's a lot of this, there's a lot of confusion going on. So a lot of these things that Paul's writing back is a, really about handling some of that confusion that they have. Um, this piece of scripture that I'm going to read for you right now needs to be taken in context with all the other scriptures that Paul talks about in a marriage relationship. And trust me, there's quite a treatise in this, in the whole, whole of scriptures about marriage and what the Bible has to say about marriage. All right? Maybe the finest treatment, I think, is in Ephesians 5, where you would go and you would find out what really um, God's beautiful uh, picture is for our marriages, and I'll get to that in just a second. Now look there in verse 7, or chapter 7 again, but, and look what he says in verse 2. But since there is uh, so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband, and the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. And the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Verse 5, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. One of the things that I absolutely love about the scriptures is, is that on the big issues, you can be guaranteed that it's going to be talked about. And I like that. I think that we need to hear the truth and what the truth really means. And in this scripture, one of the things that I want you to uh, know is that I, I think it's really important for us to understand the purpose, the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is meant to be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. Did you know that? The purpose of marriage is that marriage is meant to be a sign. It's meant to be a symbol of the relationship that Christ has with the church. And in my marriage with Shelley, it's a very imperfect reflection. It's a very imperfect symbol. But it is nonetheless that. And Paul here is talking, he's talking about this concept of what actually, what's the role of sexual intercourse in marriage? And he says, well, first of all, that's given to us as a gift. That is something that God says is fine within the context of marriage. In fact, not fine, it is encouraged. 
But he goes on, and he's speaking about something here that's even far greater. And he's saying, when he, what is he saying, and what's going on when he's trying to communicate to us? You, but you, your wife's body is not your own, and the husband's body is not his own. Now that you've come together, you're one. This unique partnership, this concept where your body, my wife's body is mine, and my body is hers, is something that's extremely and only unique to biblical literature. Ancient scholars at this time were not even talking about this kind of thing because immorality was so rampant. Now, compare this verse with this, with this other verse that I've given you, and I would really challenge each of you to go and look in Ephesians 5 about, and that you don't have to right now, but check that out because it's had some beautiful things to talk about as it relates to our marriage. But I want to pick up part one. In Ephesians 5.31, the Bible says this, this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become what? One. The two shall become one. Did you hear what I said? The biblical preaching, the biblical teaching, the biblical doctrine, the biblical theology is that these two people now come together and in marriage, these two people become one. This is the beautiful nature of what Paul is talking about when he's talking about the nature of our sexual relationships within marriage. Sexual relationship within marriage, I can only go so far with talking about this, but let me just say this. Sexual relationship within marriage isn't just a physical act. Sexual relationship within marriage is a celebration of a reality and what is the reality? The reality is, is both of you now, under the Lord, by vows, are one flesh. You're one. So sex within marriage is a celebration of your covenant together, and it's a celebration of your oneness together. Do you get that? And the world that we live in is almost Satan, is, the enemy is after this. The, the real, real deal that's going on is the massive division that's going on in our marriages. And a lot of that's due to a lot of role confusion and a lot of problems. But there's a lot of division that's going on in our marriages because of, that, of just the fact that we're not together. We're not one. And so we wanna, I want to talk with you a little bit about this. God is very interested in oneness. Did you know that? If you go back previously and you're reading Ephesians 4, he's, he's, this is something he's very concerned about. When Jesus prays the high priestly prayer in John 17, he prays about the oneness of the church. And for those of you that aren't married, one of the things that I want, really want to encourage you in today, remember you hear, hear that from me, is that we're always going to have to be fighting for our oneness as a church for us to be together, for our marriages surely to be together, but God's concerned about oneness. He talks about one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, and this concept, one flesh. These two people that come together and make one flesh. It's like what Paul's talking about here is this kind of this dynamic force, this real miraculous spiritual and social and physical union that comes and says, this is my reality now. These are, this is how I want you to understand it when it means that you're to be t together with a man or a woman in matrimony, in marriage. Now remember what I said. 
when I talk about oneness, I'm not talking about here, it's not necessarily the coming together of two worlds. <laughs> it's actually the destroying of the two worlds. It's the complete and utter abandonment and destruction of the two worlds that come together and say, it's going to be one world. And that's very different than how many of us think. Is the complete abandonment of those two worlds. This is extremely difficult for us because most of us are more fascinated with ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that just happened. Most of us are more fascinated with ourselves and most of us are more fascinated with our careers and most of us are more fascinated with our children than we are our husbands or our wives. Let's tell the truth. We are. One, one author said this, our idols, which can become our children, our jobs, or whatever the case may be, listen to this, our idols become the means by which we forget who we truly are where we truly come from. They numb us like Hansel and Gretel. We're following a sugared path to destruction. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it's a hilarious verse. Sorry, he says it in, uh, in verse 28. But if you marry, do not, uh, you, you have not sinned, but those who marry will face many troubles in their life. <laughs> yes, those who marry will. Many of the things that we want in our lives are very opposed to this kind of oneness that Paul is talking about. Now listen, because it's important that you get this, I, and I'm right with you, we want power, we want control, and we want recognition, and we want to be better, and we want to win. I can't believe how many couples I sit down and talk with on a regular basis who are more concerned about winning and being competitive with each other than they are about even the, the concept of spiritual union. Why so much fights amongst us? What's going on? James says, why so much fight? What's going on among you? Why all the quarrels? Maybe it's because of the evil desires that are really in your life that are fighting. A competitive marriage is a marriage basically that has killed oneness. A marriage that compares with each other that you get and I don't get and I get and you don't get. Oneness is deeply hurt. The enemy desires that these, really, these evil desires, these things that are going on, he desires division and severing of relationship. So he uses those things to create space. Maybe you're here today and your marriage has a lot of space between you and your wife. What will you do? Do you do what many of you want to do, which is, well, the way I handled this in my life and with my past family is when troubles came up, I don't talk about them. I just sweep them way under the rug or I drink them like a, some really bad cocktail and they go down to the bottom and I don't talk to anybody about it because confrontation, especially with my husband, is impossible because he doesn't listen to me and he doesn't care about me anyway, so why would I do it? 
Larry Crabb said, talks about uh, self-centeredness. He says, all our relationship problems spring from one place, and it's the foul well of selfishness, and more than anything, what gets in the way of getting along is self-centeredness that seems reasonable. <laughs> I love that. Poor communication, temper problems, unhealthy responses to dysfunctional family backgrounds, codependent relationships, everything flows out of the cesspool of self-centeredness, and it's true. And, God, and I want you to know, I'm chief number one. It would be very appropriate for many of you husbands to be able to go home and just decide that you're going to talk with your wife and in the conversation, you're just going to lose it. You're just going to lose. You're not going to win. You're just, just lose. It doesn't matter. The stuff you're talking about, it's a bunch of stupid, ridiculous stuff. How about that? Somebody just told you that. And you can be mad at me all day. That's great. I can handle it. Think about it. Think about what all the fighting's going on about. What's going on? Think about it. I encouraged a, a group of people that came to my marriage seminar. We talked. I said, go home and, t and, and, and say to your wife, what are the things that you want me to stop? What are the things you want me to start? And what are the things that you want me to continue in our marriage? And I had one guy, I looked at that, and he was in counseling. I told him that, and he goes, <laughs> right. And I said, why, why, why'd you respond like that? And he goes, because she would fillet me. That's what he said. He said, she would fillet me. And I said, man, go home and be that salmon. Do it. Guys, do you know that one of the ways that you're going to minister to your wife and love her like Christ loved the church is when you finally begin to listen to her heart? What would it look like for you to go home today and say, what do you, hey, baby, what do you want me to stop? I put my hands down. Now my hands are on my guns. Yeah. Well, I need you to start being more romantic. Oh, what happened? What do you mean? What? What are you talking about? I'm, I'm totally romantic. What are you saying? I, I ride a white horse every day. I come home with roses, throw them on your bed, play music, run your bath. And she looks, she says, no, that was in your dream. That you sound... That didn't happen. That's not happened in years. No, seriously. What would it look like for you to listen to your wife? Wives, what would it look like for you to listen to your husbands? I challenge you to do it. I challenge you to do it without trying to defend each other. I challenge you to do it with listening to each other and say it. Mm, and say something, hard, something that you never say in your life. Never do you say this. I needed to hear that even though it was painful. Bet you won't. I want to talk to you about something serious now. I want to talk to you about the importance of one, one of the things that oneness looks like that has become very evident to me is the concept of putting things to death. The concept of dealing with very difficult things in your marriage and in your life. And I want you to hear me say that I believe completely in an ultimate sovereign God who is the real author and storyteller of our lives. I want you to know that I believe that more than I've ever believed it before in my life at 51 years old. I want you to believe that I went through all of my 30s 
probably most of my 40s, believing that I was in complete control of my life and my decisions were what made things happen. And I want you to know that right now I stand before you an absolute addict to Joel Walker and say to you that none of those things are true. But what is true is that I have a Lord that is sovereign who's written every single piece of my story. He is the author and he is the finisher and he is sovereign and the Lord will bring life and the Lord will bring death and in my life he's brought it all. Elizabeth Kubler, uh, Kubler-Ross says this, she developed a well-known theory of the emotional stages that we experience at the loss of a loved one and she talks about the in- in initial stage and this initial stage that she talks about is the stage of denial. And along with denial comes like shock and numbness. You go, I can't believe this is happening to me. This person can't be dead or this couldn't have happened to me. So you deny it and the next stage that comes after denial is anger. And usually the anger goes like this. God, why, do you, why did you do this and why are you doing it to me? And after anger usually comes acceptance. And finally, she talks about after acceptance usually comes what she calls adaptation and healing. And the bottom line would be that the end result is a person, man or woman, who has kind of faced this hard reality, this mourning, this loss, this death, and has emerged more mature or stronger. And I believe that this path is common to all sorts of death that she's talking about. Follow along with me, see if you can get this. It could be the death of a dream. It could be the death of a relationship. It could be the death of a job. Some of you here, and probably many of you, are still holding on to the dream that you have of a perfect husband or a perfect wife or a perfect sex life. Your perfect life together, and you've been shattered by the reality of true life together. And here's what I would tell you. Mourn it. Go ahead. Deny it. Go ahead. Be angry about it. Talk to your friends. Be Job. I've had to do it many times. Read Job, by the way. You kind of start getting real scared about being angry after you read that. Like angry a lot, you know. Go ahead. Do that. Mourn it. But I want you to know that you must, each of you must allow, we all must allow God to lead, you, lead us to acceptance and the Lord Jesus is going to be our only healer. Some of you here, one of the things that's really hurting your relationship with your husband and your wife, your relationship with your friends is that you're stuck in stage two, anger. I'm going to be angry about this. This is hurt. I don't get it. I'm going to also be angry at God. Many of you young ladies are in deep mourning about something. I want to speak to you about something, especially the young ladies that have had the privilege of ministering to. Many of you are in deep mourning about the complete loss of your life now that you've become married and have kids. Mourn it. God is sovereign. He is your healer. A little boy came to his father and said to his dad, Dad, why does it get dark? And the father answered, well, because the sun goes down. Well, where does the sun come from? Or where does the sun go, Daddy? The earth is round and the sun goes to the other side of the earth. Why does it do that? 
Well, if the sun shone all the time, we would get too hot and burn up. Dad responded. <laughs> Why don't we burn up when it's light? Well, because we're far enough away from the sun. Daddy, the son asked, why don't you know why it gets dark? <laughs> I, share, I share that illustration with you because I want you to know something, and you really got to lean into this because at some point, at some point, young friend, you're going to have to begin to accept God's version of the story for your life. Did you hear what I said? At some point, you're going to have to begin to accept God's version of the story for your life. And he may be even right now writing a very sad chapter. Mourn it. Get angry about it. Ask God to help you accept it. And come to the place where you can be actually be healed by it. Do you believe that God is truly the author and the finisher? of you? Do you believe that he knows better than you? Will you accept the version that he has right now? Young lady, those little babies that you have at home, that life that you hate right now, cleaning up the vomit and all the garbage, you can't imagine how crazy this life is and how your life has been inverted from the life that you had before. Accept that version of God's story on you right now. Open up your hands and say, thank you, Father. I trust you. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? I trust you. I even trust you to know that we're, my wife and I, my, we're in confusion. I trust you. It's what you're wanting to author right now. I trust you. Let me finish by saying this. Let me give you, as I close, let me give you the greatest marriage secret known to man. Isn't that what we all want? Go home today and Google it. You know, you'll find something there, right? But I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you Joel Google. Here it is. In the book of Hosea chapter 1, listen, the Lord tells Hosea, go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty. And the vilest of adultery in departing from the Lord. And so Hosea marries Gomer. And Hosea in the story represents God. And Gomer represents Israel and the church, really. And the Lord said this. She, referring to Gomer, will chase after her lovers. Listen to this. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. And then she will say, I will go back to my husband, for then I was better off. God says something so beautiful in chapter 2 of Hosea. Follow the story because it's unbelievable. The Lord says, therefore, despite her adultery, I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. By the way, men, tremendous example of how we're supposed to love our wives. But Israel continues and Gomer continues to fall away and prostitute herself. And in Hosea chapter 3, the Lord says to Hosea, go and show your love to your wife again. 
though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. So Hosea buys her out of slavery. He takes her back to be his wife. And here's the big secret. The best marriages and the deepest relationships with God grow out of a real startling discovery. Let me tell you what the discovery is. That in my sin, I and you are Gomer. And although we have chased after many lovers, we have not caught them. We may continually look for them, but we won't find them. We have been chased down by love. We have been allured and we have been led in the desert, and many of you are right now. And God has bought us back from slavery, and God has tenderly spoken to us in the person of his son, Jesus. And the words that he's spoken to us are these words, I love you. And there's nothing you can do to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to unearn it. And now I don't have to go crazy trying to find love. I'm loved. The energy to love my wife or to, for you to love your husband completely flows out of one reality. I'm loved. I'll close on this. As long as the self is consumed in the struggle to make itself lovely, it cannot love. Do you hear what I said? As long as the self is consumed with its struggle to make itself lovely, it cannot love. And I think that right there is a problem with about 80% of our lives. We're so consumed and running around so hard of trying to earn love, earn our husband's love, somebody's love, that we actually, it inhibits our ability to love because we don't understand and don't want to jump into the pool of the fact that we are loved, that we're sons, that that constitutes the core reality of my existence. That's it. Can you imagine what it would look like in your marriage if you actually knew that truth and lived it out? That you don't have to put your, on your, your husband or your wife the expectations of actually that, of that kind of love. But you're, you're a free woman. Free women. Hoo-hoo, man. I love that. Right? As long as the self is consumed in the struggle to make itself lovely, it cannot love. First, it must come to the end of its own resources. For the power to love derives purely and solely from the knowledge that one is already loved. The power to love comes from the knowledge that I'm already loved. That's how I love. When I begin to understand that I'm loved. If I don't want to understand that and get that, I'm not going to be able to do that love. Yeah? A good word for us today? I needed to hear it. Stand together and join hands. Thank you, Father, for this church, your church, your, our king and lead and master shepherd. Lord, I pray for the marriages in this room today. I pray that by your spirit you would do a work in the people, even in the people here, folks, that, the folks that are struggling with that, that, are, that don't have a mate. Lord, I pray 
Lord, that you would speak to them. You would comfort them by your love. You would comfort us by your love. Lord, let us understand this unbelievable mystery that we can't get. It's, so, it's such a struggle for us to understand that we're loved like this in spite of what we think about and how we act. That kind of love is amazing. It's, it's sometimes too fierce for us. I pray your peace and your strength on the marriages that are in this room. I pray, Lord, great, great wisdom on so many of these people in this room this week that you would lead them and guide them, that you would lead them and guide them in all healing. Send us out today. We thank you for a great Sunday that we can worship you and partake of the sacraments and hear your word in your name. Amen.